0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Hey, we're looking through the seven pillars, and um, this is just about ministry. Uh, We went through some doctrine at the end of last year and kind of walked through the Bible, and this is just really a foundational aspect of how we view the Lord, how we follow Him. The righteous are called to walk by faith. And that faith uh, is not checking our brains at the door, but rather it's trusting and resting actively in Christ himself. And there's times where we don't understand all that he's doing. We don't understand what the outcome may be. We don't understand fully why he's called us to certain things. And, And the truth of the matter is if it's out of faith, it's not out of our flesh, which means we probably don't understand it, and our flesh really wants nothing to do with it, and as a result, we're probably scared to death. You ever thought of it that way? Anybody that says the the Christian life is easy, take 10 steps back and check that out for a second. Because the truth of the matter is the Christian life is a death to self, and that doesn't necessarily come easy. Following God um, is an experience, and it's an experience of a lifetime. It's not always easy. And so in the midst of it, we have the privilege of experiencing the Lord, of being deepened in Christ, of understanding and knowing God even more. And that is worthwhile. That's eternal. That's life. So the seven pillars, true ministry is initiated by God. He's the one that raises it up. It's out of him. When we talk about ministry, we're simply talking about service, what we do, right? What we do for God. It starts with him, because he's the one leading us. And what God initiates, God anoints. He empowers it. If it's out of God, then God will take care of sustaining it. If it's something that he is the one directing in, then he will take care of whatever is necessary to strengthen and encourage and to support in the midst of what it is that he's called us to, what he himself is doing. And today we're going to look at ministry as received, not achieved. (laughs) I can remember hearing that for the first time, and I thought, well, that's kind of a play on words. And and there's a truth to that. We're not talking about uh, achieving things as necessarily a negative issue. There's goals, and there's all kinds of stuff, and we we work hard to, to work towards that stuff. But really what we're talking about is the underlying reality of a heart yielded to Christ in the midst of following him. What we're talking about when we talk about achieved is what we can do for God, rather than what God is already doing and what God is able to sustain us in the midst of. And so often we get this confused. We get this kind of either meshed together in some odd way where we create confusion because it's not clear, or we just go full out uh, achieved ministry where we're doing everything for God and we're expecting him to bless it because aren't we working so hard, Lord? Why wouldn't you bless it? And so that becomes really an interesting moment. Achieved ministry really doesn't have anything to do with faith. Achieved ministry is what we think we can do for God. And because we think we can do it, we've already stepped outside the parameters of what it means to follow God. I would encourage you this. Today and the next couple weeks, these three, ministries received, not achieved. The fourth one's true ministry is not the result of our efforts but of our surrender, and fifth, that God gets the glory for his ministry. I would suggest to you that these three hit us all in a way that is amazing to watch, because it cuts our flesh. The first two, right, true ministry is initiated by God. We go, oh, yeah, God, God's in charge. God leads. God is the one who is out in front. Oh, we all agree with that. Absolutely, of course, Amen. And then we say, "What well, God initiate, God's anointed. Of course it's anointed of God. It's empowered. Of course. And perhaps the sixth one, the church is an organism, not an organization. We say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we like that. We like that. Why? Because, yes, we are a living body, and we all connect with that, and we kind of get that, and so that's a, a bit of a philosophical thing, and yeah, it's cool to see how the church works together. And the last one, the role of church leadership. Now, maybe you don't like this as much, but the role of church leadership is to equip you to do the work. <laughs> You may not like that as much, and it's not exactly like that. But these three, oh. See, if you're you're walking in achieved ministry, you want the glory for it. You want credit for it. If you're walking in achieved ministry, you think you can do it. And so you've already invested your energy, your mind, your emotion into doing something for God that you believe is absolutely valuable and essential. And as a result, when we start walking through these three, all of a sudden, flesh is kind of brought to bear in a way where it, it kind of makes us uncomfortable. And it really does. If you don't, you don't believe that, just hang on a little bit. You can't believe some of the conversations I've had about these three over the years, here and elsewhere. That's just the truth. Because there is no room for the flesh when God is at work, God will not share His glory with us. He does not need us to do anything. We get to participate with Him. It's a joy to walk with Him, it's an experience of an eternal life where we get to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. That our flesh. Loves to take credit for things. Our flesh loves to measure things. We love to be able to say that we are really good and that we deserve, and you can fill in the blank. Man, these things, they kind of hit hard. Because the truth of the matter is, they're all about the Lord and they're about what we're not. Now, the good news is is that Christ lives in us, and he's able to empower us to do the very things that he commands us to do. And we get the privilege of experiencing him. But at the end of the day, we don't take the credit for it. We we recognize that it was God. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan made a statement that I thought was very pertinent to this. Ministries received, not achieved. He says, the man who loves Jesus but who shuns God's method is a stumbling block to him. (laughs) Oh, man. You mean a believer can be a stumbling block? You better believe it. You mean we can get so twisted up into things, we can get our eyes so off the Lord, we can get our eyes so on the work, we can take even biblical mandated stuff and we can impose it on what we're doing to justify it, but at the end of the day, it wasn't out of faith and as a result, it won't remain, it won't last. You bet. We could actually be doing the same work that somebody else is doing and God knows our hearts and he knows the other individual's hearts and one person's going to be rewarded and the other person suffers loss. Yes. Oh, yes, friend. That's a serious reality. We don't want to be stumbling blocks. Amen? We want to walk with God in a way that his glory is revealed through us where no one gets the credit, no one gets the glory except Christ himself because when Christ is lifted up, that's what we want. We want people to see the Lord. We want to see how good God is. We want to see how glorious he is. So in the midst of ministry... That is initiated by God, meaning that he's the one that takes the initiative. It's out of him. a ministry that he has initiated, he empowers, he anoints. What we've got to come to realize is that we receive it from him. We don't go and do it and or achieve it for him. We don't separate God out of what we do. The truth of the matter is he ought to be ingrained in absolutely everything that we're a part of. Let me give you three things on this uh, this morning. What does it mean when we say received ministry? How do we actually define that? And I, I would put it this way: relying upon the Lord. That's the bottom line. It's faith, it's trusting, it's walking with Him. There's a reliance upon the Lord. Secondly, uh, when we talk about achieved ministry, what we're really talking about is resisting the Lord. Resisting the Lord. because we want to do it our way. We like our methods, and we like our plans. And when the Lord comes alongside and says, no, I don't think that's what I want you to do right now, we tend to resist that. And as believers, we absolutely can do that. And lastly, examples of received ministry, I put it in two kind of ways, but recognizing and resting in the Lord. There's a recognition of where God is at work and that he's inviting us to join him. How many of you have taken Henry Blackaby's experiencing God? Just interested. I want to tell you something. That's a powerful, powerful uh, series of, of lessons of Uh, teaching notes. And I would encourage you to look that up. We probably need to offer that again on Wednesday nights because it's so uh, foundational to our walk with the Lord. And I'll never forget going through it as a young pastor, as a student pastor, and, and leading the class and remembering very distinctly that when God begins to reveal something, when God begins to show you something, that's his way of inviting you into it the question is are we willing to follow him see when we talk about receive ministry there's a recognition there is a careful observation of where is God at work what is he doing and then there's a trusting and a yielding and a walking with him in the midst of it and as a result there's a resting in the Lord's leadership there's a resting in him So relying upon the Lord, when we define receive ministry, true serving the Lord is an outflow, first and foremost, to following him. If I'm not following the Lord, I'm not receiving anything. If I'm not following the Lord, I can't receive anything because there's already an attitude ingrained in me that I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do things the way I see that they should be done. And so when we talk about following the Lord, we're talking about faith, we're talking about being persuaded about some fundamental truths. And one of the fundamental truths is that he alone is able. That I can't. He never said I could. He can. He always said he would. But I can do all things. How? In Christ who strengthens me. I can't do all things in and of myself, but I can do all things in Christ. So either way you come at it, the reality of it is it's the Lord who empowers us, the Lord who leads and guides and strengthens us, to serve. There's no true ministry for the Lord if there is no recognition of his leadership. If we're not willing to follow him and recognize that he's the shepherd and that he's in charge, forget it. I don't care what good things seem to be taking place. God may even use it to bring glory to his name in some way, but at the end of the day, it's not ultimately originating with him and as a result he's not empowering it as a result it's really not true service for the Lord or service that we would call ministry I've been in the pastorate now for over 20 years I can't believe it and uh, I'm watching my kids get older and and I'm feeling older and I don't know my wife does not look older (laughs) But I'm I'm amazed uh, at how I've watched friends and people within different churches that I've served in and different arenas who have absolutely looked like they are the Energizer bunnies when it comes to ministry and find that they've kind of fallen off, right? They've gotten sidetracked suddenly the conversation instead of what used to be all about the Lord is now about money. Or what used to be all about the Lord is now about all the problems, and the word they comes into the conversation over and over and over again. In other words, the problems of of their churches, the problems of their ministries, the problems uh, of whatever they're working on and doing has suddenly gotten off-center. It's no longer on Christ, but it's on the problems of perhaps people or the problems of finances or the problems of whatever. And You go, oh. All of us are susceptible to that, folks. I want to tell you something. Um, I'm susceptible to that. You pray for me. I thank God the Lord is our shield. You know, people have asked me uh, in various ways what are some of the greatest challenges that I've faced here at Hoffmantown. I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to be real honest. I honestly believe if I could put this into a phrase, the most challenging thing for me at Hoffmantown has been keeping my eyes fixed on Christ. Period. Period. Uh, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. And I thank God for His grace in that. And you can pray for me in that, pray for my family in that, because, <laughs> folks, we want to keep our eyes on the Lord. We want to keep our eyes fixed on Him. But when we receive ministry, the issue is how are we following, how are we walking with Him by faith? How are we just absolutely yielded to him each and every day and each and every moment so that the outflow of our lives is Christ? It's his love, it's his joy, and everything that we just sang about who he really is. That's the issue. When we get sidetracked into the problems, into the difficulties, when we fall into the rut, we have, we have to come back to the Lord. We need revival. We need him once again afresh. Amen? We need to rely upon the Lord. I I love what uh, my father-in-law wrote about this. I just want to read you some of these statements because they're just so rich. He said this. He said, you see, true ministry is not us coming up with a good idea and asking God to bless it. How many times do we do that? Oh, we need another great idea because we need to attract this group of people, that group of people. Hey, hey, maybe we do need a great idea, but where do we run to for that great idea? the Lord. It's learning to join God in what he is doing. That's, that's the essence, if you want to think of it, of received ministry. What is God doing? How are we recognizing where he's at work? And how is he inviting us to join him into that? It's learning to join him in what he's doing. And I love this one because this is so essential. Even when we have a sense that something is God's will, that doesn't necessarily mean it's his timing. Do you catch that? See, sometimes we can say, yeah, that's what God's leading to and we get a great idea and it really is a God idea, but it's not God's time. And so we've got to learn not only to recognize where God's at work, what he's inviting us to join him in, but also the timing of it because the Lord knows that better than we do. Because we're not dealing with just normal stuff, we're dealing with spiritual things, we're dealing with people's hearts, we're dealing with salvation, not only for the unbeliever but also for the believer to grow in Christ, and as a result, this is a spiritual context that goes way beyond our ability to accomplish in and of ourselves. Often there's a time of waiting between our awareness of a need and God raising up a solution. Oh, that's hard. Does anybody else have a hard time waiting? I mean, man, that can be tough. And lastly, we're responsible to wait in faith on the Lord until he gives direction and then act in faith on that direction. And faith is simply being persuaded that God is able that it's from the Lord, that it's of God, and that he will sustain and he'll take care of the results and all the different factors involved in it. Gotta keep our eyes on Christ. Gotta keep our eyes on the Lord. What happens when we get involved in achieved ministry or what are some symptoms, if you will, of achieved ministry? And I, I put it into three different ways. When we begin to walk in a way where it's of us, not of God, of us. When we begin to try to fix the problems, when we try to come up with the solutions, and they may be even what we think are biblical solutions, but because of the wrong timing, it's not of the Lord. It's not being empowered by Him. We're not walking in His grace in the midst of it. We'll find ourselves actually in our flesh beginning to resist Him because we want what we want when we want it. We want the timing of it. We want the problem fixed overnight. I would suggest there's three things, and and there's probably more, but I put it in this way. The first thing you begin to find is in the midst of our relationships with one another, you're going to find division. You're going to find factions. You're going to find jealousy. You're going to find strife. And the Corinthian believers were a, a perfect example of this. They're believers, but Paul tells them they were walking as mere men. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says this to him: I, brethren, cannot speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? What he's telling him is you're walking carnally. I can't tell the difference between you and I know that you're believers versus those who are not believers because there's strife, there's factions, there's divisions. One's saying I'm of Apollos, one's saying I'm of Paul, one's saying I'm of Cephas. And the really spiritual amongst you are using this in the wrong way, but you're saying I'm of Christ. And as a result, there's a, there's a mess. And the testimony of the church is absolutely Non-existent in the midst of the community. Paul says, "What are you doing?" Now, were they doing things? (laughs) I think the indication is they were they were faithful to go listen to the person they were attached to. When Paul came to town, a whole group of people came up to show up. We're of Paul. When Apollos came along, we're of Apollos. Man, they were here. They were listening. They had their mission conference, and there's Paul, and a whole group went over there, and they had their mission conference, and there's Paul, and a whole group went over here, and then Peter, well, Peter's the founder, and then there's a whole another group that looked around and sacrosanct, right, and they, oh, well, we're aware of Christ, but what was the end result they weren't putting one another's interests in front of their own. They weren't walking in brotherly love, which is of God, which is from God, which is the fruit of the Spirit. They were divided everywhere. And as a result, Paul says, "Your babies. your babies. Whoa. Don't we got to be careful of that? <laughs> we need to guard against that one, folks. We really do. That's a hard one, isn't it? Sometimes that hits home. Well, secondly, in personal spiritual growth. Personal spiritual growth. When you get involved in achieved ministry, it's ministry that's from you. You're empowering it. It's your thinking. It's your ideas. There's no grace in it. And as a result, it's going to be performance-oriented. And your personal spiritual growth in Christ is going To suffer, the Galatian believers are amazing examples of this. They were trying to achieve the righteousness of God through the works of the law rather than with hearing with faith. And in Galatians 3, verses 2 through 3, he tells them that. He excoriates the Galatian believers. Only letter that he doesn't thank God for the people that he's writing to. Think about that. I mean, the Corinthians, as messed up as they were, oh, I thank God in my every remembrance of you. You're so wonderful. I love you so much. To the Galatians, You bunch of idiots. (laughs) How would you like that? I mean, that's what foolish Galatians means. I'm not making that up. He said it. Not me. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you get saved? Did you work real hard and do the things of the law in order to show yourself righteous enough To be forgiven of God? No, no, no. You receive the Spirit by hearing with faith. You recognize Jesus Christ as publicly portrayed as crucified. You understood why he went to the cross. You knew that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's what he's saying to him, And then he goes on and he says, are you so foolish? Have you checked your brain at the door? That's literally the idea having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you working it out in a way that you don't need God? You've set God to the side. He goes on, he says, you've nullified, you've set aside the grace of God. Really? You mean to tell me that you can actually now, because you're a believer and you got saved, fulfill the law? No, the law is the tutor that points you to your very need of Christ in the first place. Why are you placing yourself back up under that when you've been rescued from it? You've been freed from it. You're no longer under that tutor. See, that's the the point. When we start walking in achieved ministry, it's like we've literally nullified or set aside the grace of God. And what happens to us, we stop growing spiritually because we have a wrong understanding of what it means to be perfected, to be made complete in Christ. We take on the idea that spiritual growth is out of our own energy, our activity. And achieved ministry leads to that. Well, thirdly, ministry itself. The Ephesian church is perhaps a good example of this. They were doing a bunch of good things, but what had they done? had left their first love. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 and following. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. Amen. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles. Amen. They're not. You found them to be false. Good for you. You have perseverance. Amen. You've endured for my name's sake. Awesome. You've not grown weary. Awesome. Good job, church. But this I have against you. You've left your first love. Oh. Man, doesn't that get you? Why do we do what we do? What's the motive behind it? Why do we do what we do? Is it for God's glory? Is it because we're receiving it from him? Or is it because we think somehow we've been mandated to do something for him And yet, in the midst of that, we have nullified, we've set aside the grace of God. And as a result, our relationships suffer. As a result, we are no longer growing spiritually in our own person because we have taken on something to ourselves that God has never expected us to be able to accomplish. And lastly, our ministry in and of itself becomes ineffective because there's no divine power in it. We are trying to achieve something without God's strength, without his ability, without him. We've left our first love. Oh, boy, do we got to guard against that, folks. In our day and age, it is everywhere. We're all susceptible to this. We all need the Lord, and we need one another. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us, to correct us. We need to be in the Word of God to make sure our minds are being renewed so that we discern the difference between what's of God and what's not, what's of my flesh, what's of your flesh. Well, lastly, recognizing and resting in the Lord. Let me give you some great examples. Great examples of received ministry. And there's bazillions of them, right? Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What happened? He recognized Philip did what the Lord was telling him to do, what the Lord was calling him to, and he rested in the reason why. You remember the story? He's up Uh, in the northern areas and there's revival taking place and the Spirit of God tells them to go down on this dusty road and there's not a soul in sight. Now, how many of us, when there's revival taking place and the Spirit of God would prompt us to go take a hike and go up onto the, uh, what is it, the uh, loose trail or whatever it is, the trail up in the mountains, and and go do that because God told us. We would leave what's going on here at Hoffman Town. There's revival breaking out. People are getting saved. People are coming to Christ. People are are confessing sin. And all kinds of things are wonderful, wonderful, beautiful God things are taking place. And the Lord prompts us and says, go up on that trail up there. I don't know about you, but I, I admire Philip for this one. Because I I think that I'd be like, well, that's not God. Wouldn't you? Come on, don't look at me like that. I know you would. You would. We'd we'd all be like, what? Philip goes. And he meets the Ethiopian eunuch and he helps him understand the passage in Isaiah that he's reading through. See, there's a recognition of where God is leading and what he's telling him to do, but there's also a resting in the Lord as to the why. Philip didn't say, are you serious, Lord? You're kidding me, right? One guy, a thousand. No way. He didn't do that. He went and he did what God told him to do. He didn't come up with that idea. He didn't plan that out. The Lord did. Acts 9, 6, Saul. Paul, his conversion. What an amazing story this is. And without getting into all the details, uh, Paul sees this bright light, hears the voice, recognizes that it's the Lord. And the Lord, in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, says, Go into the city, it will be told you what you must do. <laughs> I love that. Now, Paul's an achiever, man. I mean, if there's anybody trying to achieve something for God, it's Paul. He's actually killing people because he thinks that he's doing God a favor. You catch that? And what does the Lord do? The Lord shows up and says, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you fighting me? And immediately Paul recognizes he's in the presence of Jesus, the resurrected one, and he calls him Lord. I love that. But does the Lord give him a whole plan of action? Does the Lord tell him everything that he's going to do? Now, he says, go into the city, and oh, by the way, I'm not going to tell you right now what's going to happen, but you go into the city, and it'll be told you what to do next. See, receive ministry is step-by-step, folks, step-by-step, step-by-step. Because the Lord is in charge. The Lord's in control. He'll reveal what he wants when he wants to reveal it. And we got to trust him in that. Acts 9, Peter and the lame man, uh, Aeneas, he recognized the need. He's down there, and he left Jerusalem, and he sees this lame man in this house. He trusts the Lord for healing. It's just a little example, but it's a good one. And I, I think Acts 10 is perhaps even more powerful about the Gentiles and the Roman centurion, Cornelius. The sheet is being lowered down to Peter, and, and Peter's being told all these unclean animals, right? There's pork and other stuff, and, he, and, and, and the Lord says, hey, Peter, take it and eat, Peter's like, no way, I've never touched anything unclean in my life. And the vision's over. And you can kind of see Peter waking up, rubbing his eyes, and just, what was that all about? Ding dong, right? There's the bell. Two guys are coming, and they say, we were told by an angel to come look for Peter. Is he here? We'd like to ask him to come with us, because Cornelius, a Roman centurion, needs to know about Jesus. And Peter goes, oh, that's what this was about. Was it Peter's idea? Was this something he came up with? He brainstormed, right? He got it all figured out. No, 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 (laughs) obviously not. The Lord knew what he wanted to do and the Lord was preparing Peter's heart in it and Peter received it, recognized from the Lord what it was that the Lord wanted to do and then in faith acted upon it. Acts 13 is another great example. Paul and Barnabas are set apart by the Holy Spirit for the first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, there's a great statement. Acts 13 2, he says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, now don't jump over that. While they were ministering what? To the Lord. To the Lord. See, all received ministry starts with ministry to the Lord, and then it's for the Lord. Because the Lord has to kind of cleanse us a little bit. The Lord has to prepare us in order that we are hearing from him correctly, so that when he then moves, we are ready to receive what it is that he wants to accomplish. It's to the Lord first, and then it's for the Lord. And as they're ministering to the Lord, as they're fasting, as they're making sure, because what fasting ultimately really is, is making sure there's absolutely nothing in your life that is a distraction. They want to make sure they're hearing from the Lord as to what His will is. Then the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's to the Lord and then for the Lord. What a beautiful picture. Of received ministry. One of the most interesting examples, perhaps, is in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Acts chapter 16, 6 through 10. Let me just read this to you. It says, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden <laughs> by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. What? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We are SBC people. Right? Some of you are like, well, I'm not sure, are we? (laughs) Some of you just joined from other different areas, and you're like, well, I don't know that I'm an SBC. All right, all right. But you are now, because if you're joined, you're a part of an SBC church. You mean to tell me that Paul is trying to get into this area, the Phrygian, Galatian region? He's trying to get into Asia. He's trying to get into Mysia. He's trying to get into Bithynia. And the Lord is stopping him from speaking the gospel to those lost people. What? You better believe it. Why? Because God knows the timing of things. Paul's heart's right. It's interesting because that word trying is imperfect tense. It means at a particular point in time, Paul started to try. And he kept trying and trying and trying. He's as stubborn as we are. He kept trying for all he's worth until literally the spirit of Jesus had to say, absolutely not, Paul. You're not allowed in there. What? Yeah, that's because ministry is received. It's not achieved. That's because there's a timing element to all the activity that God does want us to participate with him. There is a timing element in terms of God's time. There are doors that he will open, and when he opens a door, nobody can shut it. If he didn't open the door, let's stop bashing our head against it, trying to figure out how to get it open, because it's not worth it. God, in his timing, will accomplish his will and his purpose We receive ministry from him. We don't achieve it for him. What happened? Paul goes on and he has the Macedonian vision and it's the man in his dream calling him to come over, in effect, to Europe. That's how the gospel got into Europe. The Lord knew that the timing to get the gospel into Philippi and all these regions in Europe was right. And as a result, he stopped them from going to these other areas because he knew the timing was right to go into the area that he led them to go to received ministry, folks. We we can have a biblical mandate, right? We can say, uh, Mark, go proclaim the gospel. We can say, Matthew, make disciples. We can do that, and those are absolutely correct, and they are absolutely emphatic. Every believer is to be participating with God in the midst of that, but we better be following him in it. We better be following him in it, because if we're trying to achieve something for God... I want to tell you something. It does something to us. It undercuts the very message of God's gospel of grace. I think it's interesting when you look at Proverbs 16:9. It says, "The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps." Well, Romans eight fourteen says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Being led is uh, present tense. It means God is the one leading us, and it's all the time as we yield to him, as we yield to him. Ministry is not received, or excuse me, it's received, not achieved. It's joining him. It's walking with him. It's, it's allowing him to direct our paths. I like what my father-in-law said. He said, it's allowing the interruptions of life. Anybody else hate Interruptions. Interruptions drive me crazy. And I've had to learn over the years that many times those interruptions are from the Lord. And how am I following the Lord in receiving from him something that he's interrupting my agenda for the day in, but that he's got something better in mind? Let me give you a few thoughts as we conclude Our beliefs about the Christian life are reflected in and through our activity, right? I can can watch people's activity. I can observe my own, and other people can observe my own, and you're going to know what I truly believe. I'm going to know what you truly believe because your activity is simply an outflow of your beliefs. So hear me on this. If our ministry activity, if our service activity truly is revealing what we think about two things, A, that we don't need God, or B, that God expects us to do something for him without his power, without his strength, without his timing. Well, then what happens? I would suggest we've missed the reality of our need of his grace, Christ himself, and we are actually, maybe sincerely so, but we are actually role modeling a false gospel. We are presenting to people that they actually don't need the Lord. They don't need him. Wow. That's devastating. Let me give you some comparative thoughts. If we're truly walking with the Lord and received ministry, what is our focus going to be? What is our focus not going to be? I would suggest our focus in received ministry is always on the Lord. Always on the Lord. It's always about Him, right? It's always about Him. If it's achieved ministry, what's our focus on? The problems. The problems. I'm not saying you don't address the problems, and I'm not saying there aren't problems, and I'm not saying you don't take those problems to the Lord. He already knows about them, I'm talking about being focused on it, consumed by it. Secondly, receive ministry, we're always going to be focused on his word. We're going to be focused on his word. Conversely, achieve ministry, we're focused on our own thinking and our own creativity. The word and what God has to say about things versus what we think, what we can come up with. On his ability, receive ministry, versus on our own personalities. The drive of the force of who we are to accomplish something. Oh, <laughs> that's not good, folks. Not good at all. It's the weak things of the world. God has chosen to confound the wise, not the strong things. Humility, not pride. On his wisdom, wisdom, We tend to focus, when we're achieved, on our solutions and our experience. Now, obviously, we don't want to throw experience out. In many ways, experience becomes wisdom. But we're talking about God's wisdom versus our wisdom. We're talking about God's ways and his wisdom and how to navigate life and the circumstances versus our experiences which may or may not reflect his wisdom. And lastly, our focus in terms of received ministry is on his plans, which he reveals as we go, as we go, versus our plans, which we must fulfill. We grab our plans and we say, this is the way it's going to be. And don't you dare get in my way because I'm going to cut you down if you do. Right? That's what happens, unfortunately. Where are you in your walk with the Lord this morning? What's God doing in your life? Hey, folks, we've been called into a great adventure. And it's called following God. And it's receiving from him what he wants to do in the timing that he wants to do it for whatever reasons or purposes that he wants to do it for. And the question is, are we yielding to him in that? Are we saying yes to him in that? Are we walking with him in such a way that we're willing to say, Lord, I don't have to have all the answers. I know you are the answer, and that's enough. That's all I need. Where are we in our relationship with the Lord? How are we doing in our service, our activity for the Lord? How are we doing in that? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast.